Great. So hi, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Erica Bryce, who is Impact Investor at the Nexus of Sustainable Fiscal Returns. So Erica, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I um, just started kind of hit middle age, so it feels weird to like do these podcasts and be like, oh, I have maybe done a few things, which is nice, but I'm very much midstream uh, in my career. So again, my name is Erica Bryce. I always mention that I'm a proud graduate of Howard University. Uh, and I am from born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. And so um, in addition to like my overall moniker, uh, actually just this week, I started as a social uh, investment officer at the Kresge Foundation, too. So um, this is literally my fifth day there. And it's interesting to go kind of from being an entrepreneur for like the last year to going back into the workplace. And I'm super excited to join them. That's awesome. So I guess I can start with the first question in terms of what inspired you to join this industry? Um, you know, really, it's. Um, I, I just got asked this question. I had to think about it again. It really started with a why. Right. As a little kid, just asking why, 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 why do communities look like this? Why are these things happening? Why don't these people have the same thing as we have? All those the kind of things. That's really what started. Um, but as I got older, what it really got into was that, number one, I like finance. I am a finance geek. Um, I do, on occasion, appreciate a good Excel whole. On occasion. Um, you know, I don't actually mind underwriting and things like that. But I'm really, I've always been interested in how finance moves the world. I had an internship in a, with J.P. Morgan in private wealth. Mm-hmm going into my senior year at Howard University. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something to help people. I knew I wanted to do real estate. That I knew going in. I, I did not know how those things could intersect. Mm-hmm. And when I got to J.P. Morgan, that's actually the first time I encountered it. Um, that's my first time working with family offices. That's my first time working with philanthropy. That is when I started learning about tax benefits and tax credits. Um, and this is, I think, right before around the time that legislation was being created for new market tax credits. And so that's really what it was, is, oh, I can do the things that I'm passionate about, right, which is helping people, finance, you know, and I'm, I'm still very much passionate about the built environment. But as my career has also evolved, I've also been, you know, more focused on the uh, the things and the people that go in the real estate, right? Real estate is just an infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many times people want us to see it as like the creation of what makes a community. That's not it. Okay. It's the things that go into it. And so as I've gotten older, that's what I've been more curious about too, was what, was what goes into that. But yeah, just, you know, finding, intersecting all my passions together is how I got into this work. Great. And it seems like you were sort of exploring your passions at the time and sort of seeing what was right. So were there any resources that helped you make your decision along the way? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a little bit of a weird bird, you know, like most of my friends. I know why I really wanted to kind of do since I was 15. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, that's actually really that's rare. Yeah, yeah, it's so different, right? A lot of people get into this industry just by happenstance or kind of going from one thing to the other. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a relative that was in community development Mm -hmm. and it was a developer and literally redeveloped his own neighborhood uh, and put in a a grocery store, about an eight block shopping center, several hundred units of multifamily affordable housing, 
uh, workforce development, economic, all these things, right? So I was exposed at a very early age to this, but he came from a different era of community development. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, that was really, you know, just born out out of, you just do what you got to do. You know, this is what Mm -hmm. I fit. These are the resources I have. This is the community I grew up in. This is, you know, just figuring it out. What I kind of call like the hustler developer, the hustler community development person, right? Yeah. Um, So he he and I, like I said, have different viewpoints now. He was in very early ages, very early stages of community development, right? And still, you know, teaches about and all this other kind of stuff. So, you know, he probably was one of the biggest influences. Um, You know, I would say the other resource, and I mean, because you asked me the question about kind of mentors too, but I was thankful to have a village that really allowed me to explore and to ask questions and to Mm -hmm. give me answers Mm -hmm. um, and to challenge me to figure out more. So, um, so yeah, I would say those are the resources that kind of started out. And then, you know, just being at Howard University School of Business, the company I went to go work for, my first company I went to work for, um, I think I might have read about them in Black Enterprise. Um, it was just one of those profiles. And I literally saw it. the company I worked for was Urban America, which was a part of Utendahl Capital Partners, which was a Black-owned investment bank. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I want to do exactly what they do, which was private equity, uh, doing real estate projects in low to moderate income communities across the country. And I was like, you know. Everything you ever wanted. Everything I ever wanted at that time is grown. Um, But literally, so those are like the resources, you know, that got me through was really people and people making connections for me. Um, That's how I figured it out. But I already kind of, like I said, I had some thoughts and, um, you know, I was going to say also, you know, people in my world never um, tried to take me out of what I knew about myself. Mm-hmm. They didn't try to be like, oh, you're finance and you should be a banker. You should be an accountant. People closer to me never tried to take me out of that. Um, it was, okay, you're passionate about those things. Dig in. So, That's yeah. good. Yeah, good that you received the support as well to follow mm-hmm. and pursue your dreams. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it seems like you did a lot of research by yourself, whether it be reaching out to people or looking mm-hmm. in magazines, online, you know, publications like Black Enterprise. But mm-hmm. are there any lessons that you wish you'd learned before starting in the industry? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I, I thought about this question, too, before. You know, I would think and actually I'm going to kind of go to my written ones because I had a lot of things, especially, you know, now that I've hit this point in my career, which, you know, this is this is really a milestone for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that the first thing is the importance of self-care. Um, it's critical. You are your biggest and best resource. Um, you know, especially because, you know, I work coming out from working on wall street first, which is as an analyst and, and, you know, there's a point to, you know, that analyst life, right? You go to work at eight or nine, you leave work at 10 or 11, uh, you know, like a lot of your friends do. Um, and there is a grind that, developed in me that, um, you know, aside from my other skills and talents and gifts um, and, and the things that, you know, are not so great about me, but um, that combined with learning that work ethic and that culture really did help me kind of exceed and go far, right? Because I was just used to it. But there does hit a point in your life when that's no longer the phase that you're in and you need to rethink. And so, um, you know, at that age too, self-care, I mean, you should be taking care of yourself at that point. Right. But as you get older, you really got to do it. So, you know, self-care, number one. Um, You know, number two, no one to leave. Because of that work ethic and getting me far, I also um, 
when I was in certain work situations that um, that were literally just out of my control, right? That weren't going the best for me or didn't seem the healthiest. I used to think, okay, I can work my way out of this. I can achieve more. I can, because I can outwork anybody, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can do more. I can just exceed and succeed and these things will change. And it didn't change. And I made myself sick trying to do that. And mm-hmm. so um, certainly as I've gotten older, I've had to just respect that, you know, with certain things out of my control, that's fine. It's no longer the space or the place for me. So, um, so yeah, definitely knowing when to leave, looking at it and looking at it objectively. Don't take it personally. This is just what it is. You know, if you see a, a company or an organization that appears kind of toxic, you know, it's in a lot of turmoil. And like I said, and, and this is not to discount that you can also thrive in that if that's who you are. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's not the case for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So knowing when to leave. Um, you know, and then I would say, um, don't overvalue yourself, but don't undervalue yourself. And what I mean by overvalue is I have a lot of mentees and students who kind of think they're the only one that can do the job or somebody will like fall out because they leave. Don't do yourself like that. They, they, you'll get replaced, mm-hmm. you know, so don't overvalue yourself, right? Don't think that, that the world won't continue without you. It will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Companies will continue without you. It will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, don't undervalue yourself. Recognize your intrinsic value at the same time. I, I, you know, I'm not saying like, be like, oh, they'll just replace me and I just got to work harder. No, I'm not here for the abuse. I'm not here for the people saying, well, I survived and you can do it too. I don't believe that. Yeah. But I do believe um, that there's a fine line between overvaluing yourself right? And not respecting the process and not respecting, you are going to have to work hard in some situations, there's spaces in life, but don't undervalue yourself either. Yeah, it's always striking up that balance because it's so hard. You can go from one to another really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fine line. It's a really, really fine line. I will stress that it's a fine line. Um, and it's something that you have to think about in any situation. And I mean, I think part of that fine line too is, is, is deciding how deep, whatever your gripe is, right? Is it an ego kind of thing? Is it a true issue that's presenting like a health issue or a mental health issue for you? You know, that's part of how you, I think that you should assess that because sometimes you do have to take a little bit of an L or what seems like an L and that's okay. What you don't want to do is something that's going to make you sick. That's going to harm you you know, things like that, because you are irreplaceable to your family, to your loved ones and people like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. So true. Um, so I guess this this question pertains more to the whole of your career. But do you have any situations or scenarios where you're like, that was my biggest failure? And what did you learn from it? So I don't really believe in failures. That's good. Uh, no, that's a really good perspective to yeah, have. Yeah, I don't really believe in failures. I believe in lessons. Mm-hmm. I believe in mistakes, mm-hmm. but I don't really believe in failures. Um, you know, and I, I got to go turn because I thought about this one for a long time too. Um, sorry, I had to kind of read this again to get my mind back together. Okay, so a couple things, right? I think number one, um, making sure that people have a fair expectation of you and Mm -hmm. vice versa and managing expectations. And I mean that from the sense that uh, I'm very thankful that I'm very talented at some, at at some things and other things I'm not so great. I think that, um, 
at times. I was kind of, you know, like one of those hyperachiever kind of kids or whatever, right? Um, and I say it just like that because it's also a trap. But um, but when you're able to excel in one thing, then people automatically think, oh, you can excel at all things. And that's not how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people don't know how the sausage gets made. And so I've definitely been in situations. Actually, I did have a client say to me one day, she was like, I don't like this side of Erica. And I'm like, literally like, look, how do you think this works gets done? Like, how do you think I make the magic happen? It's yeah. not, you know? Um, so that was my first time being like, oh, people have an expectation of me where they don't feel, fully see the whole me. And so what that meant is I frequently overwork myself trying to meet expectations and do things mm-hmm. um, in a way that was harmful to myself. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would say that's first and foremost. So I'm always, you know, trying to be very clear with people. This is where I'm strong. This is where I'm not. And getting uh, even more earnest about the weaknesses. And um, sometimes people don't want to accept that. Yeah. But you have to accept it about yourself and not think that I, I need to overwork myself or outwork just to try to get over it. Because um, that's not always the case. So I would yeah. say you know, that's happened in a few situations where, again, you know, you know, because I would work, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours. Um, so, yeah, that expectation piece. You know, I think the other one, too, is I had a role. Whereas coming into a major sea change situation in in an organization that had been through a lot and had been going through a lot for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I came in, my thinking was very business focused. Here's the business case. This is what I understand. Not personal, but I should have accounted more for the personal factor of people. I went in and this actually happens a lot you know, especially in the in the industry I work in, yeah. I tend to approach things like we're all in this for the same reason, and we all see success the same way, and we do not. We don't always success have means different things to different people. To different people, exactly. When you're looking at business, and you know, let's be honest, some people kind of want some things to go away. Mm-hmm. So I did not account for the personal factor. You know, um, staff that had been through a lot. Vendors that had been through a lot, um, you know, external partners that had kind of been through a lot, external partners that thought that it should not be around anymore. Um, you know, I did not account for that. And that was a really hard pill to swallow because I'm just like, oh, we just got to do X, Y, Z and we're all on the same page and I can explain it to all my partners and internally and we're good to go. And that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely had some successes that I'm super, super proud of. Definitely made some mistakes, but I would say the primary mistake was not really it was not really thinking about that external kind of factor and figuring out if it really aligned with me. You know, getting into my role now at Kresge, I spent this last year really thinking very hard about what pivot I wanted to make and yeah. what kind of organization I wanted to be with. That was not easy, but I feel like I'm with the organization that I, you know, I want to be with. Um, I wish I had thought about that more before being like, I can be superwoman and come in and change everything. It's okay. We learn from it. And that's the best thing you can do. You got to. I mean, you, I would say if you don't learn or if you're unconsciously trying to learn, then that is the failure. Yeah. That yeah. Is the- <laughs> True. Um, so what advice would you give somebody who would want to pursue a career similar to yours? Um, hmm. You know what? Get really clear in your why and be unapologetic about it. 
be absolutely unapologetic about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying in my previous Q&A today that, um, I mean, and you do, you know, especially as women of color, right, too, I'll be really honest, right? You do sometimes get in situations where you kind of have to hide yourself. We know where you can't really make your true intentions or true desires known, or maybe how radical you are. I'm sure nobody's really ready for this version of Erica that I've worked with. Like, oh, she really thought like that. Not to say that I lied, but I had to recognize the situation that I was in, right? And I had to be very real about what I was trying to get out of those situations and in the work that I did. Um, but internally, I was never apologetic about my passion for people, my passion for wanting to serve my passion for for finance, right? And I won't be. And so getting really unapologetic and centered in your why is kind of your guide star because I've had, I've worked from private equity to banking, to CDFIs, to a nonprofit, to a national nonprofit. I've done a lot of things, but having my why allow me to also think very strategically through what are the things that I need to be able to do in order to to be um, not just to get to my role, but to be successful in that role. Mm-hmm. When I started out, I knew I wanted to to major in real estate or get as closely as I could to real estate. Howard didn't have a real estate major. We had um, some classes in real estate, so I focused on that as much as possible. Um, but I said, okay, if, if I don't have direct classes, then what are kind of like the key skill sets that I see, right? I ask a lot of questions. I ask people mm-hmm. a lot of questions, and I feel like I'm pretty good about having relationships. I definitely played the youth thing for as long as I could. Sometimes I still might can. Um, When I was meeting developers and meeting people in this space, you do something really interesting and I would just like to understand more about it, right? Mm -hmm. And battery everywhere. Um, But that's what allowed me to see, okay, people that are successful at this or do this, they have to know about this. They have to know about that. They have to know about the third. My biggest fear was always which I, should, I really shouldn't fear that because that has not been my uh, my pathway. But I was always concerned about getting into a role. Any of the imposter syndrome that happened, yeah, yeah. like I said, I mean, for everybody, but I say I think it's particularly acute for women mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, of color, too. Um, I was scared of having imposter syndrome. I was scared of getting into a role that I was not ready to. Um, take on or that I didn't really know what to do. And so I decided that I have to be really strong in all the foundations and all the fundamentals and let me do the grunt work. Let me do those things so that whenever I get to wherever I want to go, my foundation is so solid, so broad, like a pyramid, right? Where that's what makes a pyramid so strong. And quite frankly, stronger than buildings that go straight up because it has this wide base. Yeah. That that was my approach. And I'm really thankful I had that um, because it's true. Like, you know, now as an investor, um, I'm getting ready to have a call with one of my colleagues um, because I've had that experience. I can kind of say, ah, they're saying this, but mm, it's really that. Yeah. Well, we need to make, we need to ask this question or we need to have this assessment or we need to do this thing or that thing, right? That if I hadn't been so deeply ingrained in a lot of these processes, I could never tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, no, when I was at U.S. Bank, uh, which was in some transition, transitions present a unique opportunity, right? If you can really figure out how to provide your value or show your value. Um, I learned tax credits for the most part. Well, I had learned some new market tax credits at, 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 uh, at Urban America too, 
But U.S. Bank um, has one of the largest community development corporations in the country. Mm-hmm. And we had a person in our office that was an officer with the CDC. So we would naturally do some tax credit deals and do some more complicated deals than other people in Kansas City were doing at that time. Mm-hmm. And we worked across the country. And so I really dug deeply into and worked those Wall Street hours, even though I didn't have to. Wow. I got tax credits. That's literally how I taught myself. I got deeply into deals. I got mm-hmm. deep into the underwriting. I got deep into the history, right? I worked, my first deal I worked on, I figured out they started working on when I was eight years old. And that was, that's what was in, I was 25 at the time, but they started working on it eight years old when I was eight. And that was the first record I could find, which means they were probably working on it 10 years before that. Wow. Um, that deal was probably, oh, shoot, easily a billion dollar deal, probably a billion plus. Wow, um, that's um, impressive. Thank you. With, with, and with, you know, eight different bank partners and with a fi- uh, an impact tool that had never been used in the country before, literally the developer created it. And so it was those things of being willing to just dig in. And I ask questions, but I never want to ask a dumb question. If I can figure out how to figure it out myself, you know, I'm going to always try that first. I'm learning how to balance it out. But that's literally what I did. And I'm so grateful I did it because um, because it created that foundation where, you know, for the things that I'm really good at, there's certain things you can't tell me a lot about, you know, not for the things I'm bad at. But there's certain things I will always ask the question, but I know I know what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. I can say that with confidence. And yeah. um, especially working in finance, you will have a lot of people that will BS you. So I'm really grateful that I had those experiences because I can say you're BSing me or I can ask further questions. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't made that. If somebody had said, okay, Erica, um, we want you to be a developer now at the age of 28, mm I would have failed a long time ago. I would have failed a long time ago. I wasn't ready. I didn't have all the expertise in the, in the experience that I've had now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so you're here now, and I think, yeah, mm-hmm. you're here now, and I think that it really helps that you did all that research and the hard work yourself so you can be really confident in your skills as well. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, especially for somebody in your generation, you all have access to way more information than I had. I mean, I grew up, you know, I think people think millennials and especially the older millennials, y'all didn't have, I had computers in elementary school. Now, I didn't have them as a toddler, but I had them, you know, in elementary school. Um, but, you know, these are still kind of early ages of the internet and the level mm-hmm. of information that you all have access to right now, you all should be going to every room sharp. If I had access to that, it, it may have been a different game for me. So I would say, you know, use all your resources and don't wait for anybody else to tell you, you know what it, your why is, you know what you want to do, you know what your vision is, go after it. Mm. No, that's a really important message and something really poignant to, I guess, finish on. So um, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for speaking with me today, Erica. It's been absolutely lovely to get to know you and to get to know your story. Thank you, Layla. I appreciate it. This was fun. Yes. And make sure to check out Erica's website, by the way, wheatleyprovident.com. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I work for Kresge Foundation, Wheatley Provident, first African-American hospital in Kansas City, one of the few remaining ones in the country. It's now the National Historic Register. It was founded in 1918 as a hospital. That is what I was doing while I was pivoting to Kresge. Um, so I don't want it to get mixed up. That's a passion project. 
The building is being restored. Um, we now have a roof and walls. So I encourage that website only because I think it's so critical that we look at our histories and the history in our backyards to really ask what buildings are and why mm-hmm. uh, and see how we can preserve that and move it forward. So I want to stress that that's why that is up there. But if you're really looking to find out more about me, please see kresge.org. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody. And um, yes, thank you for Erica as well for coming on the show. Thank you, Layla. Thank you. Bye. Okay, a quick question. When will this be 